Welcome to Jesus Without Religion. I'm Mike Sinar, your host, and I'm glad you're joining us today as we discover Jesus through the filter of grace. If you are a Christian, you are about to see the love of Christ like you've never seen before. Never again will you fear God or feel that you are inadequate or not deeply loved by Him. We know some people call that a license to sin, but as we go through this series, you're actually going to find out that soaking in God's kindness and total forgiveness of all sin, yes, all sin, is the only prescription that will actually lead you away from the disease. Well, good morning. It's good to be back. We are going to be talking about some branches today. Uh, in today's uh, episode, I want to be talking about this verse that we find in John chapter 15, verse 2, and it's talking about uh, cutting off branches with no fruit. And that's the question that we really want to be able to answer today on Jesus Without Religion is, is what's going on here? You know, how many Christians read John chapter 15, verse 2, which reads this, he cuts off every branch in me, very important word that tells us it's a Christian, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes. Uh, and then they'll, you know, people will ask us, well, does this apply to Christians? Is that what I'm to understand? And is God cutting off some of these Christian branches and throwing them into the fiery pits of hell if we don't produce fruit? I mean, where's the grace in that, right? Where's the forgiveness? What happened to apart from works you've been saved? What happened uh, to the idea that God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything? Oh, and then someone will be sure to grab on to James chapter 2 and try to uh, use that as their only real legs they might be able to put on that theology, uh, which that's a, a different message that we've covered before. So, so listen, here's the problem. This verse in John chapter 15, verse 2, identified this person as every branch in me. So that's where it gets a little sticky. So does it mean that the Christian who is in Christ is now being cut off and they're going to hell? Well, first of all, on a side note, I want to encourage you to look at multiple translations because not all translations use that word cut off. Many of them use the word take away. The majority of Christians, thank God, do not believe in this cultish theology about losing salvation. That is the most garbage, lifeless, dead religious uh, message I've ever heard. And it's really founded on no biblical legs. Um, And most of us, including most Bible commentators and translators, do not buy into this idea that Christians can lose salvation. But then we get here to John 15 too. So with good intentions, some people are trying to explain this verse away, perhaps by twisting it to have some type of a different meaning. It's a struggle for people. If you don't believe in salvation and you see the, uh, losing salvation, sorry, and then you see this translation, well, where do you go with it? However, I don't see how 
anyone can get away from this translation, meaning that a Christian who stops producing fruit, if it says he's cut off, well, in that context, if you're cut off, where would you be sent to? Well, I'm sure you would be thrown into hell if indeed cut off is the proper translation and it's not uh, takes away or lifts up, etc. But what if the Bible translators simply did a poor job of interpreting the Greek word in its true context? I encourage everyone, if you don't have one, get a, uh, a concordance. I have the strong concordance and it was really a blessing. There are many translations um, that sometimes get it wrong. That's why we have various translations, because not everyone agrees uh, with the exact way. It's very difficult translating uh, Hebrew and Greek into English. And as a result, we get multiple different views of how people think it should read. And it is not uncommon, especially I've even seen it in the NIV for people to, or translators to come behind, come back a year, two, three, four, five later and say, yep, we think we actually, after a deeper study, we got this translation wrong. And we are now updating our uh, version of what this should mean. So the Greek word here um, is arrow, area, A-I-R-O. And that's where you would find it in your concordance. And it can be translated into English as cut off. It can be translated as removed. Or I believe, more correctly, it can be translated as take up and to raise. So what I'm looking at here is the concordance. Uh, and it's a screenshot from my strong, uh, my strong concordance. And it, th- this is the definitions that... I've been given, and you can verify it too in your own concordance, and ask yourself, maybe the translators picked the wrong word. And generally with me, I want to look at a translation in context of all of Scripture, not just one letter and say, oh, oh I, I, I'm a King James Version guy. Oh, no matter what, King James has it all right. Nobody else can get uh, translations right. I say hogwash. Not true. So, Let's go next. So in context, what this verse, I believe, really should say is this. He lifts up every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. The lifting up of branches actually causes them to start to produce fruit again. It is a common practice for a vine dresser to stretch out a vine on an arbor or use some other means of raising it uh, into the air and the sun so that it will produce fruit again. Now, really, what do you think the heart of God uh, would be for his children? You remember the children who he died for on a cross. He took their sins away. He justified them. He made them holy. He sanctified them. He said they'll be presented as blameless. Do you think the heart of that God is one that says, look, uh, you haven't had much works uh, here lately, so I'm just going to give up. I'm going to cut you off and I'm going to throw you into hell. What would the heart of God be that we know in context as we read all through the New Testament and see what God has done for us? Maybe the heart of God is that he would help us 
to lift us up that we might produce fruit again in him. Okay, so moving over to John 15, 4, I want to read something very interesting. Well, note, first of all, it's not our fruit. I think sometimes we get all obsessed with this. We start um, analyzing our fruit, our works, our behavior. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And this is why, if you just keep reading John's letter, in in verse 4, he says this. He says, we cannot bear fruit. Let me read it. He says, remain in me and I in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, but must remain in the vine. So neither can you unless you remain in me. So verse four tells us we can't bear fruit on our own because you don't have the ability to bear fruit. Only Christ in you allows that to happen. Let me take it further. Not only is it impossible for a Christian to bear good fruit on their own, but according to Matthew chapter 7, verse 18, it goes further. He says, it is impossible. It is not possible for a Christian, a good branch, to bear bad fruit. Now, I will be doing you a disservice If I didn't talk about the first three words uh, in verse four that say, remain in me. There are a lot of people out there that are teaching that this word remains as some type of an an outward human effort as we pound our chest and brag, look at me, I'm remaining in Christ because I'm so awesome. I'm out there doing this and I'm doing that and that's how I remain in Christ. Well, that would be terrible teaching, and I definitely want to tackle that. So again, first let me point out that you're not the one alone doing the remaining. Jesus is also remaining in you. Now, this word uh, remain is also translated as abide. And again, abide is often used as some outward activity. You got to abide. You got to abide harder. You got to abide more. And it's a terrible, terrible teaching. Abide simply means this, to live in. So perhaps a better way for you to understand what remain in or abide, remain in me means, uh, and I and you, would be to say something to the effect that we are living in Christ and Jesus is living in us. It's a spiritual thing. It's a it's something that never stops. You don't try to abide. You either do abide in Christ spiritually, eternally, or you don't. You're not abiding in Christ one moment and then not abiding in Christ the next moment. That would be works by works based salvation. So we continue on. I want to read two verses. I think it's important for us to um, I think it's important for us to stop. Um, this idea of believing that we have to we have to somehow do something to remain or to keep living in Christ. And as, as far as Christ living in us, let me remind everyone of a couple promises that God says. Again, always look at Scripture as a whole. This allows us to sometimes question uh, translations that may not seem to fit with other translations. So, how about Hebrews chapter 13, 5? This is the promise from God. I will never 
leave you or forsake you. So God says he will never leave us or forsake us. But wait a minute, will God leave us if we're not abiding, we're not doing enough, we don't have enough works? Is, isn't cutting us off and throwing us into hell, in fact, leaving us, deserting us? And the truth is God will never leave you and he will never forsake you because what he's doing isn't cutting you off. He's raising you up. He's lifting you up. God is, God is not in the business of tearing his children down. He is in the business of building us up, encouraging us, growing us, motivating us. 2 Timothy 2.13 says this, when you are faithless, now who's being faithless? The Christian. God says this, I will remain faithful. In other words, I'm not going to change my mind. I'm not going to uh, re- re- retract the promises that I've made to my children. You are safe, you are secure, and you are totally forgiven. And I'm not going to change my mind because I'm not impressed with your level of works that you're producing. So then we see an unexpected statement in verse 6. And I'm just going to read it to you in case you're listening on the podcast. It says, If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown away like a branch and dries up. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. So is this Christians who suddenly don't have a lot of works and they're being thrown into hell? After all, if we're saved, remember, apart from works, you've been saved, right? But then God is going to toss us uh, into hell if we don't have works after salvation? Well, I don't really believe that's what's being said here or taught. It is important to know what God does with the Christian who may temporarily uh, not be temporarily producing fruit. God did not cut them off. As we just discussed, there's a translation issue. He lifted them up and he caused them to produce more fruit. Uh, This person Uh, This person that is not abiding in Christ in this verse, verse six here, he's not abiding in Christ. He's not living in Christ, right? Doesn't have Christ living in him. This person is not a believer. Keeping in mind, again, what did God promise? He said, I will never leave the believer. I will never forsake the believer. When the believer is faithless, I will remain faithful. We've been saved apart from works. Again, look at all the context. And God is definitely leaving this forsaken person. Right here, God is leaving this person and he's also forsaken this person because they were never in Christ. They were never, uh, Christ was never in them. They were never saved. They never ever were able to bear any fruit. So here's the good news. If by chance we good trees are not bearing good fruit for a time, We are not going to be cut off, but rather we are going to be lifted up. You know, I want to close by pointing out what Jesus said about Christians. Uh, Before anyone tries to conclude that John uh, 15 is about uh, a good tree producing no fruit and then being cut off, I would strongly encourage you to read Matthew chapter 7, verse 18, which reads this. It says, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. You hear that? What do we know about a good tree? You're a Christian, you're a good tree. 
You cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Friends, it's literally impossible for a Christian to bear bad fruit. But wait a minute, we all sin, right? And at times, apparently we're not bearing good fruit, right? And sometimes you don't have a lot of outward fruit. So how can all this make sense? And the answer is very simple. We are obsessed with thinking that this is about our fruit that's being inspected by God. And he's not talking about your fruit. This is about the fruit of the Spirit, right? Which is why, apart from Jesus, you cannot bear good fruit, any kind of fruit. God is referring to the things that Jesus does in and through you, right? And that's what's important here. Again, if a Christian cannot bear bad fruit, well, certainly at some point or another, you've told a lie, you've looked with lust, you, you've done something that you know deep in your heart, even if it was once, twice, 10 times, I don't know, you know that you've done something that would not feel very pleasing to God. So how can God say you cannot bear bad fruit? Because God is saying, when I'm talking about fruit, I'm not looking at your performance. I'm looking at my son's performance. I'm looking at what Jesus does. Now notice that a bad tree, an unbeliever, cannot bear good fruit. Well, certainly there are unbelievers out there who are donating hundreds of thousands of dollars, walking old ladies across the street. They're volunteering for different charities. Come on, if outward works is fruit, then explain to me how the unbeliever, uh, why can't they, why can't they produce good fruit? Because God's not looking at the hundreds of thousands of dollars that any of us donate. God's not looking at walking women across the street. He's not looking at where we're volunteering. He's looking at the works that are done and inspired through Jesus Christ, who lives in us, who guides us and counsels us each and every single day. The only thing that really matters when it comes to works are works. It's not about the quantity, right? Let's not obsess over that. It's about the quality of them. You can do 20 works that are from yourself. I'm going to describe myself. You know, for a period of time, I used to run around looking for works, like flipping rocks. I got to have work. I got to have work. I was obsessed um, with having to please God. Like, you know, sometimes you go through a season where you feel like, I haven't done anything impressive for God. You know, let me go find a homeless guy and give him a hundred bucks. Let me go, let me go, let me go do this. And I'm literally trying to create works as if God was served by human hands, as if God was up there going, wow, Mike, you're, you're amazing. Look at you. Wow. You do so much greatness for me. No, like what I realized over time is that what really impresses God are the works that he's prepared in advance for you. And you will walk right into these works. What impresses God are not works that we, that we do on our own accord, but works that are done from Christ in and through us. I'm going to just wrap up with a quick story um, about a homeless guy. I've, told, I've shared this before. I'm uh, in that mode, and then sometimes I slip back into it. I'm like, man, Mike, gosh, you haven't done anything amazing in a while. No volunteering, no nothing. Like, and here I am, I'm driving down the road and I see this homeless guy. 
uh, and, and a genuine homeless guy, not you know a fraudster up there just trying to pick up a couple bucks. A uh, little not there in his mind, and I pull over, and I'm like, hey, yeah, I'm gonna impress God. God's gonna be really pumped up with me because I'm gonna put some money in this guy's pocket. And fortunately, I've been financially blessed, and <laughs> I have the ability to do it. So I don't think God's overly impressed. Uh, when he's blessed me and I'm just handing money away as if I'm somehow awesome. But in my mind, hey, I'm giving away money. It's a homeless guy. Let me pound my chest and look at God and say, look at what I'm doing for you. By the way, do you see where the focus is? Look at what I'm doing for you, God. Aren't I awesome? Look at me. Man, did I miss it that day. And I'm telling you, God was probably looking down saying, you're not doing nothing for me. I don't need you to get money for this homeless guy. If I want this guy to eat, this guy's going to eat. So as I stand there thinking I'm awesome, handing over money, um, the homeless man begins to talk to me and I begin to talk back and I start looking into this guy's eyes and immediately I knew it. I looked right in this guy. It's like I could see his heart. All this man wanted was love. Someone to talk to. Someone that would just shut up, sit down, put their arm around his shoulder and just listen to him. I found myself with this man for probably an hour, maybe a little more than an hour. And I just showed him love. And I knew at that moment, I was like, this is the work that pleases God. This was not my work. I did not set out to just love on someone. I set out to hand them 100 bucks, 200 bucks, and get on down the road. I was not interested in what Christ is really, really mostly concerned about. Love. Now some, oh, oh, the way you show love is giving them money. Guys, watch out for lifeless religion. I'm telling you, what this guy needed more than money, more than a hamburger, was love. He just, I don't think this guy probably had a meaningful conversation in years. And at the end of the, the day, I remember this guy looking at me saying, thank you so much for just listening. Um, it really touched me. And sadly, I, I never saw that guy again. Um, I remember his name was, I believe, I'm sorry, I thought I remembered it. I believe it was Will. I'm 99% sure it was Will. Uh, and who knows? The scripture's talking about, talk about, you never know when you might be entertaining an angel. <laughs> You never know. I don't know. Was it an angel? I don't know. But what I do know, this is God showed me what fruit was. God showed me that it wasn't money always. Uh, God showed me that this is my son's work. This is not your work. You wouldn't have dreamed this one up in a million years. It's called love. Anyway, folks, I hope you enjoyed today's study and perhaps feel more secure in your faith, knowing that you're not going to be cut off from Jesus Christ because indeed he will never leave you. Why? because he is indeed faithful. And I hope you enjoyed this video. And until next time, God bless you all.